There we go. Remember. <laughs> Sound person will start waving at you if you don't. It's good to be together to worship our God, our Father, our Savior. To just pause, isn't it? I want to also remind you to say thank you to our worship team, worship teams, who put a lot of work into trying to prepare our hearts and our, and our minds as we worship God through the whole service. This isn't a speech that I'm about to do. That's not what this is. This isn't a lecture. This is worship. We're opening the word of God together to continue the proclamation of what he has done for us. So I don't know if you have yet, ever, but I want you to consider it, saying thank you to our worship teams. And not, yeah. And not like, thank you, and then I like one of those butt statements on the end. Thank you. That's it. Thank you. So just think about that as we reflect upon the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, and his grace and his mercy. I don't know where you've been this week. I don't know how your week has been. Some of you I do know. But if you're like me right now, you need this. You need the gospel. So it's a pleasure to be able to come and continue to remind each other of it today. The gospel is not is not just for the unsaved. It's for all of us. So let us pray. Father God, I just thank you for another beautiful day that you have blessed us with. Another day that we can use the breath that you have given us to glorify and to praise your name. Lord, I do pray that you are indeed glorified. God, I want to preach so that you are indeed glorified. I want to speak of you and praise you and praise your name. There's no amount of gifting that can do that on our own. So won't you make it turn out well? Lord, by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with the necessary power, appropriate affection. Use this sermon, God, to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. I don't know about you, but um, I have a really boring testimony. It's really boring. I grew up in the church. My dad was an elder in the church, in a Baptist church, Fellowship Baptist Church in Hamilton, Ontario. We drove 15 minutes to church, like a million times a week, because my dad was an elder. <laughs> And uh, I grew up in the church. There wasn't. I didn't do anything bad, you know. I was a. I was a good kid. I rebelled. Oh, I rebelled. I was rebellious in some cases more than not. My dad would probably still say he still thinks I'm rebellious. Uh, but I was a good kid, you know. Uh, good family, good pedigree. My my uh, ompa, my great grandfather was a missionary in India. My other, my mom's dad was a pastor up in the middle of nowhere, a town called Manitowage. It's, someone actually, wow. 
I'm impressed. Um, near a t- bigger town called Man- uh, Marathon. But, uh, you know, good, good pedigree. Grew up in the church. Didn't, like, I wasn't a gangbanger, clearly. Um, you know, wasn't addicted to drugs or alcohol. Nothing like that. Pretty boring testimony. And you know what? The church has this problem uh, with elevating testimonies. If you haven't noticed, they always bring the one who has got like the worst life ever. And they bring him up here and they kind of like celebritize, romanticize his testimony. And here I sit in the pew. I'm a church kid. I'm going, oh, clearly, I don't, you know, I don't have anything as cool as that. But as we come into this passage here, there's a major thing that we need to understand. The Bible says that we are all in need of being rescued. Our need to be transferred out of darkness into light, to be moved from death to life, all of us are beggars in need of Christ. Regardless of if you grew up in the church or on the streets of London, Ontario, we could be worse and be streets of Toronto. There weren't any bad streets where I grew up. No matter what, no matter how dull you might judge other people's or your own story to be, we're desperate people in need of a Savior. And this passage is a great display of that grace that God has poured out on our lives, regardless of where we are. But we need to understand, as Paul begins to break this down, if you have your Bibles with you, I'll be in Galatians, continuing on in a series of free indeed. Looking at Galatians 1, verses 11, all the way to the end of the chapter, in verse 24. We need to understand where the gospel comes from before we can truly understand the power of the gospel. It's important. It's important to Paul as he reminds the Galatians of where it is. As he says in verses 11 to 12, he says this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 11, he comes and he repeats himself again from what he just basically said in verse 1. Literally, Paul has gospeled. He's the good news, the good news that comes from God. Creating this big gap, a hole between those who had been infiltrating the church and the gospel that, God, that, that Paul had been proclaiming. He's not proclaiming him. He's proclaiming God. And he wants this to be clear. The gospel is not his gospel. It's God's. And it's come from not man, but from God. As he says, not man's gospel. He's denying <clears throat> that it came from anyone or anything else. The gospel is not man's good news about God. It's God's good news for man. And it's amazing good news. It's good news that, that gives us hope in the most tiring, desperate times. 
when you can barely get out of bed, it gives you hope. When you don't know what to do, it gives you hope. It's God's gospel. It's not my good news. It's not your good news. It's God's good news for me and you. So he did not get it from man. It's not man's gospel. It's God's gospel. He did not receive it from any man. He denies his, that the gospel that he is preaching has ever been received. And he even breaks this down even more for us in verses 6 to 24 as he goes systematically through his testimony, his life, saying, I did not receive this from man. I was not taught this from man. I got it straight from the source. I got it from Jesus Christ himself. As you read through the book of Acts, you can see his testimony of how God, he didn't ask Paul's permission. He intervened. And he ripped Paul out of that kingdom of darkness and brought him into his kingdom of lights. He did not receive it from any man. Why would he need to... uh, think that it comes from any man. He doesn't have to double check. He doesn't have to fact check his things. He got it from Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And and we can read this testimony in Acts. But then he comes in verse 12 and he gives more of a positive. He gives two denials and then he gives a positive. He says this, For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Unlike the other gospel message that is coming from men, that people are spreading and letting it just be like a poison and a cancer throughout the whole church. Paul, the gospel that he proclaims was God's. And he gives evidence of that himself. That he was never taught this. You know, he went to Jerusalem for like three weeks I don't know about you, but it sure takes me a lot longer than three weeks to learn anything. Especially people's names. You got to think that we could not come up with the gospel ourselves. There's no possible way. You got to think about it. You know, one of my, I have many, many, many pet peeves, but one of them is not t- keeping score because uh, there has to be a winner and a loser. Right? That's clear. Like we play board games to win. You play a sport to win. Yeah, right? Yeah. She's like, my team won the turkey bowl. Yeah, that's right. She knows it. She knows it. Right? Our natural inclination is not the gospel. If we were given the power to determine how to, one could earn God's favor and place with him forever, we would make it a scoring system of some kind. Wouldn't we? Because I know that when the kids don't, they're playing soccer and they're not keeping score, that drives me nuts. How do I know who to cheer for? <laughs> Something that emphasizes maybe our good or how good we are. Why? Because the natural default, default mode of our hearts is trying to win brownie points with the Holy God. That's who we are. That's what we try to do. 
The gospel could not come from man. Because the gospel says the complete opposite. That there's no way that you could win any amount of brownie points with God. It is a free gift of grace. So Paul comes and he says he did not receive it from any man. Grace offends our natural sensibilities, doesn't it? We don't naturally trust it. We naturally think we have to work for it. People could not make up the gospel. It is impossible. It came from God. The gospel is like water. People did not invent it. And people cannot live without it. We are spiritually thirsty creatures in need of the living water of the gospel. If you are a Christian, we need to keep drinking from the well of grace. It's like what I said earlier. The gospel is not just for the unstaved. They don't get to claim it as theirs. It's mine. And I need to daily drink from the well of grace. Because it's not mine. It's God's. Many Christians think that we should move on from the gospel as if there is something more important than Christ's work. No, keep drinking from the grace. Keep working the gospel into your hearts. At family camp this summer, I did a family camp, so I teach to the parents. Uh, and I, I did five sessions on the gospel. And people were asking me before they came up, because there's nosy. And I said, they said, oh, what are you teaching on? I said, the gospel. And they, <laughs> you could see their face. You should see their face. My own wife did this face. <laughs> like, like, that's a cop-out. The gospel. Oh, folks, you're never done drinking from the well of grace. Every day you need to be reminding yourself of what God has done. This is why we come along here and remember You will be prepared to tell unbelievers that what they are desperately needing is not good advice. There's enough self-help stuff out there. Oprah's great at that. Or moral improvements, but the good news from God about new life in Jesus Christ. What is the source of your beliefs? Paul's source was God himself, was Jesus Christ's. What is the source of our beliefs as a church in Allwood? What is the thing that we are going to tap into? Think about a GPS. I, I use one a lot. The other day, uh, I dropped off Matt at home. And, and, and I'm like, oh, I need to go to the hardware store. So I'm like, there's got to be something closer than what I know, Right? So I asked Siri, because that's how I do things. Because you're driving, you're not supposed to be playing around with stuff. You're like, Siri, where's the closest hardware store? She's like, oh, I found one that's like 900 meters away from your house. So I'm driving down there, I'm like, oh, sweet. I'm like, that's not a hardware store. That was like a costume shop. (laughs) I was like, that is not a hardware store. And I was like, oh, whatever, so I keep driving. And I'm like, oh, I'll ask her again, because maybe it changed. Siri, what's the closest... Hardware store. It's like, oh, there's one that's one kilometer away. So I'm driving. I live on the southeast end in Pond Mills, and I'm driving past, at this moment, the western fairgrounds. Like, 
going that way. And I'm like, all right, I see the Canadian Tire sign. I'm like, sweet, Canadian Tire. I can get what I need at the Canadian Tire. No, it was a tire shop. So the question is this. The GPS was my source for getting to the hardware store, but the system was very faulty. Make sure you trust in the right source. Jesus Christ. Don't trust in the treadmills of work-based righteousness. Instead, trust in the one who said, Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For all you King James folk. Come to me, all who are tired and weary, and I will give you rest. That's the gospel. Knollwood, let us be a church that is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Let us trust in this, in this alone as the inerrant and fallible word of God. It comes out, you know, what we believe and how we act, how we treat each other, what we care about, what we love, what we don't love. And everyone who visits and walks through that door can tell. Let us be a church that is so in love with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's God's gospel. It's his. And he has given it to us. Let it show in how we sing, how we speak and treat one another. In our desires to be a community centered around the gospel. It should show in how we handle everything. The gospel comes from God, but what it does, it does something else though when it arrives. When we come face to face with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it does something. It just doesn't stay there. It changes a person's whole life. So the gospel that God gives shows our need for God's grace It transforms our lives and pushes us out to proclaim it. So what does the gospel do to our lives? Read on in 13 here. Paul was transformed by his encounter with Jesus. He was not just tweaked by it, okay? This wasn't like some sort of little minor little renovation. It was a complete and utter teardown of of his life. Like Paul, we need more than just minor adjustments, regardless of your testimony. When we come to Jesus, we need to be transformed, and that's what the gospel does. Only the gospel transforms people from the inside out. Paul's story of God working in his life is a good reminder for all of us about the difference Jesus Christ can make in a sinner's life. The gospel that God gives shows our need for God's grace. It transforms our lives and it sends us out. So in verse 13 to 14, we see that the gospel shows our need for grace. Look at this in verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. You see Paul's life here? 
Paul, just like you and me, was in need of grace. He was desperate for it. And he didn't even know it. We see this in Acts 8.1. And Saul, who was Paul, my kids came up with this song. What was it? Uh, Paul was, I don't know. Something about Paul being a good guy, Saul being a bad guy. Same guy. And Saul approved of his execution. As he's talking about Stephen, the first martyr. And all those arose in that day. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except for the apostles. On a side note, Christianity kind of had this hub and it stayed in that hub called Jerusalem. But if we read anything about Jesus' proclamation and what he told the disciples to go do, that the gospel would be proclaimed to all the nations in Samaria and Judea to the ends of the earth, as he says in Matthew. You see how God was even using what people intended for evil for his glory? Paul again, in, ver- in verse 3 of chapter 8, but Paul was ravaging the church and entering house after house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. This is the apostle Paul. In verse 26, Paul says, I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but that when they were put to death, I casted my vote against them. This man was a terrorist. There's no other way to describe him. And he was in desperate need of the gospel. And he didn't even know it. He was extremely zealous. He was a guy who went above and beyond. Paul saw himself as a modern-day hero of his faith. Paul is a classic example of a person who was sincere in his misdirected beliefs before becoming a Christian. Sincerity cannot bring you to salvation if you do not sincerely believe in the truth. You can be sincerely wrong. I'm often sincerely wrong. You can be consumed with religion and miss Jesus. Paul was in desperate situation. He would be perhaps, we would look at him and perhaps say, oh, he's beyond the gospel. Paul's main point in verses 13 and 14 was to show that there was nothing in his religious background and his pre-conversion, his pre-Christian life that could have in any way prepared him for the positive response to the gospel. Nothing. So do you see your need? You grew up in the church? Like me? Do you see your need? Do you marvel at the fact that God saved you? Do you believe he can save the worst of sinners? Behold Paul, a terrorist turned into Christ's evangelists. What amazing grace. The gospel that God gives shows our need for his grace. But it just doesn't leave it there. The gospel transforms our lives. In verse 15 to 16, we see this. But when he 
who has set me apart, when he, God, has set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach to the Gentiles. Read that over. Let it just sink deep in your heart. Work the truths of these verses in. Think about all the work of God and his conversion of and commissioning of Paul and what he has done for you. But when he, who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Glorious word, but. It's a great word. It's a very deep theological word, by the way. It's a great word. It's actually a very bad word. It's like what I said about saying thank you. And if you add the but statement, it completely counteracts the thank you, by the way. Right? The same thing happens here. The but completely erases everything that was said before. But when he who has set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Conversion is the act in which our stories receive the holy conjunction but. The transformation of our lives involves God's intervention. He who set me apart before I was born, God chose him, he chose you, he chose me before he was even born to do exactly what he was doing. Preaching the gospel. Did you know I used to cry in front of people? I do. Did. Don't anymore. I still get terrified. Standing up in front of people, it's crazy. Whoever thinks, hey, that would be a great job. (laughs) God has planned this since the time, before time even existed. Think about the amazing fact that Paul, that God called Paul before he was even born. Yet Paul spent years, years, rebelling against the holy God. And persecuting, not only, he he persecuted the bride of Christ. For those who are married, think about that for a sec, especially you men. What if someone came around and started mocking your wife? What would you do? I'd kick the daylights out of you. I'm bigger than most people. I'm not really afraid of anyone. (laughs) Here's Paul. Persecuting the bride of Christ. Imagine the patience God has for him. Imagine the patience he has for you. Before Paul knew God as Lord and Savior, God was patient with him. Are you grateful that our God is patient with you too? There is nothing in this passage that doesn't cause us to continue to praise him. And then he goes on, he says, and who called me by his grace. God called Paul powerfully and effectively just as he called us to himself. Have you ever tried to call a kid for dinner? Have you ever? I have, at least three, I got three of them. (laughs) If they're playing like a video game or something, my kids don't play Fortnite, but if your kids play Fortnite, try peeling them away from that. Hey, it's dinner time. Yeah, I know. No, no, one more, one more. Just the end. 
It's next to impossible sometimes. God's call is very different. When God says, let there be light, there's light. When, God, when Jesus calls the storm and the waves to be silent and still, the storm stops. When Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb, it wasn't like, hey, Lazarus was saying, hey, just one more turn. He got up and got out of the tomb. God calls you by his grace, and in that call, your life is transformed. You don't have a choice. See, Paul said that God's son was revealed in him. Grammatically, it is possible for this this phrase to mean that Jesus was revealed to him or, or through him. But really, what we want to look at here is that it really refers to the fact that Jesus Christ has actually entered into Paul's heart. And as he went on to write in the next chapters, we see in Galatians 2.20 that Christ lives in me. When Paul met Christ on the Damascus Road, he was changed from the inside out. The gospel transforms. You don't have a choice. And Paul later on talks about this, about the the fruit of the Spirit and, and the fruit of the flesh. A life that has encountered the living Christ has been transformed. They are different. Not perfect. I like to think I'm perfect. I'm not. I'm very far from it. But I've been transformed. And God is continuously working through, through his word and through the Holy Spirit to make me more like Christ. When people heard about the total change that had happened in Paul's life, all they could do was give glory to God. We see that in verse 24. And they glorified God because of me. They knew that the only direct intervention of God can change a sinner's heart. And when God does intervene, to him alone goes the glory. The emphasis, again, is on God's initiative. Paul was not called because of anything he himself accomplished. Jonathan Edwards has this great, amazing quote. He says this, You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And that's what happened with Paul. When someone asks you, how do you become a Christian? How did you become a Christian? The only thing that you can really say is by God's grace. By God's grace. Paul wasn't searching for God. He was actually an enemy of God. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A lot of people harp on the church. Outside the church, people harp on the church. People in the church harp on each other. Let's be honest. Whoa. There's a story of a pastor who had a relative who said that the church was a pit of vipers, end quote. To this, the pastor replied, do you think those outside the church are any better? She replied, no. He said, well, I don't disagree with you. And I don't either. We are. And we've got room for one more. 
Anytime you want to slither on in, come on in, he said. We, the church, are the company of the redeemed sinners. People who have been saved by grace. Another reason why church membership is so important is the body of believers affirming that what they see in your life is God working in you. You've been called not only to himself, but into a family, into a local body. The gospel will do the same thing in your lives as it did to Paul's life. Not exactly the same, of course, because there is only one Paul. But it is the same gospel. Perhaps you have never persecuted anyone or kidnapped people or voted it for their execution. But we are all still sinners who need the gospel. We're evil by nature, and thus we need the gospel to take us from where we are to where we ought to be into a right relationship with the Holy God. We need it. As you see people transformed by the gospel, it brings glory to God because who else can bring what was dead to life again? The gospel that God gives shows our need for his grace. It transforms our lives as lives that have been transformed. It just doesn't keep us there. It doesn't keep us in these pews with our ears being tickled. It sends us out. The gospel keeps us faithful to Jesus and to proclaim him. Uh, Pastor Charles Spurgeon said this. I had this quote on my office wall in Burlington. And it hits me hard every time I read it. It says, these places of worship, Knollwood, are not built that you may sit here comfortably and hear something that shall make you pass away your Sundays with pleasure. Or displeasure, <laughs> depends. And he continues on, and he uses the word London, by the way, because he's from London, England. A church in London which does not exist to do good in the slums and dens and kennels of the city is a church that has no reason to justify it longer, no longer existing. This is the 1800s. A church that isn't existing to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ does not deserve to exist. It does not. To rescue souls from hell and lead to God to hope to heaven, this is the church's heavenly occupation. Oh, that the church would always feel this. No, what do you feel it? Do you feel it? The gospel that God gives us shows us of our need for his grace. It transforms our life and it sends us out. We gather today to remind each other of the gospel of Jesus Christ because this week sucked and we need it. Regardless of how old you are. And as we are reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we go out to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a broken, broken world. God cares for the poor. He wants us to work with them. But more importantly, he also wants us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ.
Let us be a church, Noelwood, that is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us trust this word of God. It comes out in our lives, in our beliefs, as we act. This passage causes us to stand amazed at God's transforming grace. Paul summarizes God's work to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians. Everything is from God. Look at Paul's life. Marvel at God's grace. Reflect on what God has called you from and to. Rest in his finished work and go out and proclaim it. If you are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, you don't have a choice. You will go out. It will be a desire, a need to go tell other people about Jesus Christ. What's your prayer life looking like? Are you praying for Billy across the streets? Are you being purposeful in your relationships? God loves to save bad people. This passage causes us to stand amazed at God's transforming grace. Let us rest in it. Because God loves to save bad people. No one is beyond the reach of his amazing grace. This is a message that only comes from God. It is good news from God. Rejoice in the gospel. In Christ you find what your heart has always longed to find. No other love is this great. No other hope is this secure. No other forgiveness is this complete. No other joy is this deep. No other freedom is this liberating. No other peace is so sweet. All of it is found in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Do you know this, Savior? The fountain of saving grace? Come and drink. I pray that you know this grace, this gospel, that you're not too far from God, that God can save you because he saved a guy like Paul. That guy was messed up. Even on good people level. God saved a man like Paul. He saved a man like Nathan Clausen. He saved a man like Dave Noble. He called us together into this mismatched thing called a church to be a family. Have you ever looked around? Like, come on, guys. <laughs> it is good news from God. Rejoice in the gospel. It is Christ's you find what your heart has always longed to find. No other love is this deep. No other hope is this secure. No other forgiveness is this complete. No other joy is this deep. No other freedom is this liberating. No other peace is this sweet. And all of it is found in Jesus. Do you know him? I would love to talk to you. I love the gospel. If you don't know it, Come and talk to me. I'll be sitting right there. Until the end of the service where I'll be standing right there. I would love to talk to you about the gospel today. Let's continue to stand in awe of what God has done for us. Let us worship him.
as a people who have been saved by grace. Amen.